Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Apologies if you can hear the weed whacker happening across the street from my house. Um, Today's episode is an interview I did with Jennifer Weiner about her new book, That Summer. Jennifer has been on the podcast before. I'm a huge fan of her books, um, and I was so excited to have her back to talk about her newest and we talk about um, cottagecore and uh, mistaken identity emails and, um, you know, how what it's like for her writing an entire book start to finish in this pandemic. Um, so I had so much fun talking to her as usual, and I can't wait for you all to hear the episode. If you want to get a hold of us, you can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds, and you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. I think that's it. It's kind of a short and sweet intro. It is a short and uh, sweet interview. Um, You know, she's very busy. She has limited time. And yeah, so I hope you all enjoy this uh, interview I did with Jennifer Weiner on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to get to chat to you and get with you again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to That Summer? Yes. So That Summer is the story of two women. One is named Daisy. One is named Diana. They're actually both named Diana, but Daisy goes by Daisy. Um, And they have not only almost identical names, but they have almost identical email addresses. And so what happens is Daisy, who is a suburban housewife who lives outside of Philadelphia, who has a beautiful home and a husband and a daughter and a small business and does lots of volunteer work and still lies awake at night thinking, I have everything I was ever supposed to want and why doesn't it feel good yet, starts getting emails that were intended for Diana, who is single and glamorous and a consultant and travels the world, and she's intrigued by the portrait that these emails paint of this other woman, and so when Diana emails her to apologize and say, I'm so sorry you keep getting my emails, Daisy writes back, and they strike up a friendship, Uh, and then it turns out that this meeting wasn't as accidental as Daisy believed and that there's some history that these two women share. So it's a story about friendship. It's a story about trauma and how women survive that. And it's a story about a, a woman finding her place in the world, whatever that place turns out to be. I read in an interview that part of the inspiration for the book came from you receiving emails intended for other Jennifer Weiners out there in the world. Yes, this is a true thing that happened. <laughs> Have you ever, like, corresponded with the... I guess you wouldn't be able to because you don't know what their actual email is supposed to be. Um, yeah, that would be so weird. I surprisingly don't get... I have a common, like, I have an uncommon name, but I know that there is at least one other Jill Greenwald out there, and I have never received any emails from her. 
uh, or for her. So I don't know how that's happened. For a while, this was, like, happening on the regular. Like, I was getting this one, um, you know, this this one other Jennifer's emails, and she must have been a very serious tennis player, and she lived in California, and I was, like, getting invited to, like, round-robin tournaments, like, every week, (laughs) and I was like, I don't play tennis, I don't live in California, what is even going on here? But, you know, I was was interested, like, I was kind of invested, you know? It was like, hmm, like, you know, because I think any time there's somebody with your same name you you kind of have to wonder a little bit about like you know what their life is like and if they're kind of living a different version of your life at at least that's what I had these characters thinking I I don't know if that's true but certainly that is how I felt no for sure I mean the other Jill Grunewald that I'm aware of is also a runner and so but she runs much Mm -hmm. faster than I do so I have no doubt she actually gets asked about my book and has to awkwardly be like yeah, that's that's not me. So maybe I'm like the well, fancy yeah, one imagine, then. <laughs> right? No, I'm I'm imagining somewhere the other Jennifer is like, no, I'm not the not one. <laughs> I'm some other bitch. Um, <laughs> someone else. Right. <laughs> um, the character of Beatrice in the book is way into cottage core and mouse taxidermy, yeah. and I I sort of imagine yeah. that was quite a research endeavor. Um. Well. So I have an 18-year-old, and um, while she is not into cottagecore, she was very, very happy to explain it to me <laughs> and to sort of, like, walk me through the, uh, you know, and, like, she's showing me these Instagram accounts, and I'm like, okay, so these are young girls who dress like they're on Little House on the Prairie, and they're getting ready to, like, cross the West in a covered wagon, and they post things like little ivy-covered cottages and, like, mushrooms in the forest that they found and they're into like fairies and dream catchers and Lucy's like yes and I'm like and this is cool and she's like for some people yes and I'm like this is the strangest thing I've ever heard of but the internet the internet wonderful thing that it is it's let these girls find each other Mm -hmm. and so it's like you can let your freak flag fly knowing that like you've got a community which I think it's kind of a beautiful thing. Yes, I I agree. And because I, I think, you know, I imagine it would have been challenging prior to Instagram and TikTok and all that for girls who are into cottagecore to find each other if they weren't friends in real life and happened to live by each other. And so, yeah, there's this exactly. whole big community, um, which is really cool. And yeah, their lives do look very interesting to me. Yes, yes. I mean, the internet's amazing. And, like, I, as a parent of the first generation that sort of come of age, never knowing a world where there wasn't social media, I went to every seminar that the schools would have, every, like, listening session, every time they bring in an expert to talk about, like, the perils and the dangers of social media and all of the ways that your kids could get, like, victimized and bullied and sex trafficked and, like, Mm -hmm. every bad thing. And what I have come to realize is that, you know, yes, bad things can happen and certainly do, but the internet's also been a place where my kids have been able to connect and find other kids like them. And that, I think, has been something that this generation has that no other generation 
did. And I, I just think sometimes, like, what would my childhood have been like? What would my young adulthood have been like if I could have found, like, a community the way that my daughters have found their people? No, fully. Yeah, fully. It's taken me until I'm, like, you know, late 30s to find my people. I feel, and I'm grateful that I found them at this age, but, um, yeah, I do sort of wonder, had we had opportunities to meet when we were younger, what our lives would look like and what our friendships would look like. Um, I'm curious if your daughter, you have, your, your kids helped in any other way with sort of writing these teenage characters. They completely helped. They were, they were extremely helpful, like both in the specifics of like helping me to understand cottage core and like the clothes, the accessories, the music, like that whole piece of it. But just in terms of their attitudes and the way that they seem to just completely own who they are with all of the attendant weirdness and specificity of it. And they just seem okay with it. And it's like, I would love to congratulate myself on like having done a really remarkable job as a mom. But I think that it's, it's, there's something about maybe it's their generation, maybe it's the connections social media have let them made, but I wanted to write a girl who was a, you know, that, that rarest of things, a teenage girl who actually feels completely okay about who she is and how she moves through the world. And my daughters inspired that character. Do they read your books? Huh, okay. Um, <laughs> I think I think that they don't. I, which I'm super relieved about, and I think is just healthy all the way around. Like they don't need to know about the sex scenes. <laughs> I don't. I don't need to know that they know about the sex scenes. Like I know they've read kind of like bits and pieces here and there, but no, I do not believe that they are um, serious readers of mine, <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that is absolutely fine. That is a okay with me. Yeah. Your books always strike this really wonderful balance between heavy and light topics. And this one um, included, which tackles sort of the Me Too movement. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, when, what is your process for finding that balance when you're writing these books? So I am my own first reader, as any writer necessarily is. Like, you're writing this book, but you're also the first one who's reading it. And I always ask myself like what do I want in a book like I I absolutely want there to be some substance and some ambition and I want it to be kind of taking on some serious stuff which is when you're writing about women that's like really easy to do because like all of us are trying to figure it out all of us are trying to find our way all of us are struggling with all the things that women struggle with and so there's always that heft I guess to it mm-hmm. um, but then I'm also thinking and especially I would say with that summer because that summer was written start to finish during the pandemic during the quarantine and I was thinking so much about escape and about where I wish I could be and of course that was the beaches in Cape Cod and so I thought I'm going to set the book there um, you know, also because Big Summer was set there and this book is kind of in universe with that one. But I really wanted to write about the Cape. I wanted to give readers that feel of being there themselves. And I do think a lot about 
pleasure. And, you know, I don't think guilty pleasure should be a thing. I think pleasure is pleasure and we should just own it. But I thought about like, okay, like what is going to make this book a pleasure? And I thought about like the food scenes, the sex scenes, and the, the friendship aspect of it. Like the story about the, these two women meeting and seeing seeing themselves in each other, I guess, and, and how that bond forms. Yeah, actually, that's funny. I was going to ask um, because, yeah, you've, you have, you started the book in Pandemic, you finished it, and now you're promoting it, and you are working on the third book in sort of this Cape Cod trilogy, mm-hmm. also in the pandemic, correct? Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah, that, I mean, you know, I follow a lot of writers um, on social media and writing during this time is really challenging I think for a lot of people so um kudos to you for (laughs) getting through that well you know it it felt like an escape it really did and I feel lucky every single day that I get to like wake up in the morning and do the thing that I love like I I love writing I really still love it even on days when it sucks and I feel like I have nothing to say like I love telling stories and especially during this pandemic you know like my kids are in the house my husband's in the house like there's all of this fear and all of this anxiety and you can't go see people and you know there was so much stress and it just felt really really good to be able to like close the door and exist in the world of this story for a few hours every day. So it was escapism both for you as a writer and as a reader, and then now for all of your readers who are reading it right now. Exactly. That is my hope. Um, Well, to sort of tie that off, what do you hope readers take away from reading that summer? So I want like we've been talking about, I want there to be some pleasure. I want there to be some escape. I want there to be that kind of feeling of like, I'm, I'm in this beautiful place. I'm experiencing these wonderful things, but also I, I, people are calling this like my me too book. And there definitely is like that element to it. And I'm getting ready to send my daughter to college. You know, Mm -hmm. she's 18 and she's ready to leave. She's so ready to leave. She will tell you how ready to leave she is if you should ask her. But, like, I'm getting ready to send a young woman out into the world. And I've been thinking a lot about what is this world that I'm sending her off into and how does it treat young women? Has it changed since I was 18 years old and just starting out? Has it changed enough? And if it hasn't changed enough... How do we continue to work toward progress? How do we continue to work toward a world that feels more more just? So I want readers to think about that. And then also, and this is a big question, and I don't know that I've got a good answer, but, like, what do we do with the men who have been Me Too'd? Mm. Because it seems right now, like, if Louis C.K. is any indication, it's like, they're just going to go, like, sit in the naughty chair for a year, and then they're going to come back like nothing has changed. And that doesn't feel right to me. Like, I feel like it's not enough that you lose some of your status. It's not enough that you lose some of your income. Like, how are you going to do the work of repair? How are you going to leave it better than, than it was when you found it? So 
those are the questions that I want readers to think about. Perfect. Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.